Well, our topic today in our series called Foolproof is envy, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. I want to take time to celebrate here in our first minute. Um, we have a church plant that is, lan- that, is launching, that is launching today down in Andover of our former youth pastor, Mark Katzenberger, who happens to be my brother-in-law, but they launched their campus today, their church today called Transform Church, and it's happening right now. They started at 10 o'clock almost an hour ago, um, and it's really exciting. So what I want to do is just take a, a minute or so to pray for them, but Really exciting news. I got a text on my way up here from my Santee that said they had 287 people for their launch, which is just a huge testament. Yeah, amen. God is doing good things. And there's so many people that say, well, why do we need another church, right? There's so many churches. Every street corner seems like we have a church. Well, here's the reality. You know, we launched our third campus in Bram about a month ago, and almost 300 people came, which is a huge thing. But if you look at Bram, there's 1,700 people. And there's seven or eight churches. And so that's a lot of churches for a small town, right? But when you add one and still 300 people come, come on. There's people who need church, right? There's people who aren't being reached. That's the reality with every, with every city, right? First Baptist, just down the road, they reach people that aren't going to come to New Hope. And we reach people here at New Hope that aren't going to go to First Baptist, right? Every church reaches a niche. We need more churches, We need more people to hear the good news of Jesus. So let's just take a minute or so. I'm going to pray over them, and then we'll jump into our sermon this morning. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have chosen people. You have given people a passion. You have given people a drive to plant churches. It's an amazing thing. Lord, we know that there are so many people, no matter how many churches we plant, we know that there are so many people who need to hear the gospel, who need hope, who need opportunity, Lord, to Jesus. And so, Lord, keep giving us people. Keep giving us the opportunity, Lord, to continue to plant churches. Amazing, amazing things happen when we do so. So, Lord, bless the Katzenberger family. Bless their launch team. Bless their church this morning as they worship you, as they learn about you, and as your gospel power changes lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are still working. Lord, that you have not left us, but you are still changing this world. You are still changing people. And you are showing us every single day that you care for people. You want the lost people to know you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I am somebody who just gets mesmerized by beautiful scenery. Like, I live in a state, we all live in a state, right, where the air hurts our face in the winter. And so we appreciate getting out of here every once in a while. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you know there's snow in the forecast next Friday and Saturday? So... We can all go home now that we're discouraged, right? And we can all go home and be excited about that. But I went in 2014 to Austria. I was studying abroad in Italy, but I went to a few other countries trying to you know, do some sightseeing all around. And I went to this little town called Vilak, Austria. It's this border town between Italy and Austria, right in the middle of the Alps Mountains, the Danube River. There's a picture there. There's the Danube and the mountains. It runs right through it. And I remember stepping off of the train at the train station. And I was like, this place is beautiful already. I could see the mountaintops over the, over the buildings in the city. And I was like, I got to get out of the city. I got to go see like, what this place is all about. And so I got a schnitzel, I got a Coke, and I started heading out outside of town. And as I'm getting towards the outskirts, I can tell there's less and less buildings. I come around the corner, I see this bridge, I get on the bridge, and honestly, I just had to stop. I just had to stop and just soak in the view. I took this picture with my iPhone 5. So if you need any photography, I just charge 15 grand and I'll take it with my cell phone. I'm kidding. But hey, like, that's a good picture, isn't it? Not to gloat, but you know. But I take this picture, I, I look back at it every few years because it, it pops up in my Facebook memories. And I'm like, man, this place is beautiful. 
And there's a few places that I've been to in my life that I've had to look back and I just think of like, man, God is an artist. Anybody have a place in your life, right, where you, you remember that moment where you, you looked over the cliffs of Lake Superior or the boundary waters where the sun was setting, or maybe you've been to Ireland and you're at the cliffs of Moher with the green countryside? A lot of us have been to places where we just, we've seen God's masterpiece. We've seen God's glory and God's goodness. And it just makes us stop and soak it in and praise God inside a little bit. But I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you feel that way about yourself? How do you feel about yourself? Because here's a problem that I think we run into. When we look at God's beautiful creation, we think God is just so good, right? It's just like, mm, oh my gosh, he's so good. Like he's an artist, just so good. But then we turn inward and we look at ourselves and we're like, God, you made a mistake. Isn't that the reality with some of us? We think everything else is beautiful and God is such a beautiful creator. But did you know, and I know you know this, but did you know that God created you? But we turn inwards and we think, we think, look at my life, God. What have you done? How could you make me so imperfect? Everybody else has such great blessings. Everybody else is tall. Everybody else is big. Everybody else has all these things. Everybody else is rich. Everybody else has a great family. But look at me. You know, when we become envious and jealous of other people, not only does it cause bitterness and anger, and it completely takes our joy away, but it causes us to live in sin. Because not only are we dishonoring other people, but we are dishonoring God's creation. And I'm not standing up here to say, like, I want everybody to gloat about how amazing, how beautiful, and how great you are, right? Like, I'm not saying, like, I have perfect tips because, you know, God created me, right? But what we're saying is we have to recognize that we are God's creation. We have to recognize that the creator of all things has created you and I. And when we become bitter and angry and jealous and envious of other people, we are dishonoring God's creation. We don't want to live in that. We don't want to live thinking that everybody else has it better off than we do. Some of us have been through stuff, right? We've been through terrible situations in our past. Maybe you're going through a terrible situation right now, but I want to encourage you. God is still working in your life, but he has not left you. We call him Emmanuel, and that means God with us. God will never leave you. He is with you through every high and through every low. Trust him. And that's where our story in the Bible comes to. But I want to share with you guys my first memory of when I became envious, my first memory of my envy taking root in my life. Now, I, I stand up here right now as a towering 5'9", um, but there was, a, there was a time in my life where I was not always this tall or muscular. Uh, but back in fifth grade, I remember this moment, playing basketball, I was probably in fifth grade about 4'9", like 73 pounds, just a tiny kid. I remember one of my best friends, his name was Ben, he's 6'6 now, but back in fifth grade, you'll never believe this, and this is true, he was 6'1". And when we were playing basketball, it was so unfair. Because he would just stand under the basket, our point guard would just lob him the ball, and he would just stand there with his hands up over everybody. Kids couldn't jump as high as he could reach. It just wasn't even possible. But he was so bad at basketball. Because he's, I can say this now because he was a good player and he's my friend. He got to be good. But he was so lanky, so tall, he didn't grow into his own body, so he was like flailing all over the place. He would take like 80 shots a game and only get like four or five points, but he just rebound, 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 because nobody could touch him. And I remember sitting on the bench thinking, I want that. I mean, I want to be better than he is, but I want that height. Imagine how good I could be. 
But this is what happens to us when we become envious. We all have people in our lives, right? Maybe people we're friends with or family with that we look at them and say, man, I wish I had that. But once envy starts, that's when our relationships can become toxic. Once envy takes root in our lives, we are losing our joy towards the people that we're supposed to love. Bertrand Russell, who was a philosopher and author, said, not only is the envious person rendered unhappy by his envy, but they also wish to inflict misfortune on others. Now, I'm not going to say I wish that Ben would have torn his ACL. Although, no, I'm kidding. But that's the truth, right? Sometimes, even as Christians, we get to this place where in our envy, we wish bad things to happen on people. You know, we all have a wealthy friend or a wealthier friend than we are. And sometimes that can cause a little bit of jealousy. Don't you wish you could go back to 2008? right? And they could take a little financial hit. I'm just kidding. But really, we think this way. We think this way. Even as Christians, when envy and, and, and anger and jealousy takes root, bitterness takes place. And I don't want to publicly say that I wish harm on people, but sometimes I do, right? As Christians, we do this. As people, we do this, and it's dangerous. But Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And if you're perfectly, if you've got like nine-inch biceps and huge calves and, and big muscles, but your heart is, is bad, does no good for your body, right? The rest of your body is almost rendered useless because your heart isn't good. And just like in the same way envy, it corrupts us from the inside out. You might have a lot of good things going in your life, but if you're envious, it poisons everything. And so we've got to learn how to deal with this envy, And we don't do it through self-help. We don't do it through a a perfect song. We don't don't get through it by by running or taking medication, anything like that. We do it by understanding God's word and what God has for us this morning. So Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. We're going to read one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. If you don't have your Bible, it's up on the screen for you, so don't worry about that. But here is what Paul says. Now, Paul is the author of this, and he says, I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation. Wants I can, or whether I'm whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or I'm living in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a popular verse right there. I mean, I don't know how many times I thought I could dunk because God would give me the strength to dunk. Right? I don't know how many times I've thought that the Vikings could finally win a Super Bowl because God could give them the strength to win a Super Bowl. That's not what that verse means. When Paul says we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, it doesn't mean that you're going to go out and dunk. It doesn't mean that you're going to put unlimited amounts of money in your 401k because God has now given you strength. What's the context of what Paul is saying? Paul is sitting in prison in a cold, damp prison cell with chains around his ankles, and he's saying, I have learned what it is to be content. I've had plenty, and I've been in need, but I have learned that the secret is being content, and I can be content no matter my situation. I can be content whether I have a lot or I have a little. I can be content. Why? Because God has given me the strength. You know, this is a popular verse, but I think some of us need to rehear it this morning. No matter what your situation is, no matter if you're rich or you're poor, no matter if your family is doing great or you're having a lot of issues, 
No matter if you have 1,000 Instagram followers or 12, God can give you the strength to be content where you are. We need to trust him. We need to rely on him. If we go back to Philippians chapter one, just a few passages or a few chapters earlier, Paul gives us another perfect example of what it means to live with this contentment and what it can do for us. And I just need to share this this morning. And so studying this past week, this passage just kind of hit me. And I think, you know, I just need to share this this morning. And so Paul says this, he says, I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now what's happened to Paul? He's in prison, right? So that's what's happened to him. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. There are two categories of things that we become envious about. And it's things we can change about ourselves and things we cannot change. Now, Paul is in prison, and the reason he's in prison isn't because he killed a guy. He's not in prison because he was a thief. He is not in prison because he harmed anybody. He's not in prison because he stole anything or did anything bad. He's in prison because he was a missionary. He went all around the world, all around Europe and all around Asia, telling people about Jesus. But when the Roman king and the Roman guards caught wind of this, cult leader assumed that Paul was a part of an occult. They assumed that he was some sort of cult leader and that he was leading people down some terrible, weird path and that he wanted to overthrow the Roman government. So what they did is they put him in jail. They're saying, Paul, you're going to sit here. You're not spreading Christianity anymore. You're going to be chained to this prison and we're not letting you out for a long time. But what did Paul say? He said, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everybody that I am in chains for Christ. And what does this have to do with our envy. There are situations in your life, there are circumstances in your life that you are envious about other people, but you can't change it. There are things in your life that you can't change, and I know you wish you could. There are things in my life that I desperately wish, we, wish I could. There are things in my life I wish I could have lived without, things I'm going through right now and things I went through in my past, but I can't change it, and neither can you. You know, whether you're as short as I am, and some of you are, which makes me feel better, but whether you're as short as I am, I can't change my height. So why am I envious of tall people? Right? It sounds so backwards. If we can't change it, why do we care? I can't stretch my legs. And even if I could, I would probably want to be taller after that. Because that's what envy does, right? Once we reach that point, there's always somebody else with something better that we got to catch up to. We keep keeping up with the Joneses, but there's always a new Joneses, right? We can't always change our circumstances. Just like Paul couldn't change the fact that he was in prison. But what did he say? He said, I am in chains for Christ. You can't change the fact that your parents got divorced when you were a kid. You can't change the fact that you might have been abused by a stepdad or a stepmom. You can't change the fact that you might not be the smartest kid in class. I definitely wasn't. You can't change the fact that you're short. You can't change the fact that things in your past happened to you. You can't change the fact that there are situations and circumstances that you find yourself in right now that you had no control over. But what's Paul encouraging us to do? He's saying, I am in chains for Christ. 
It doesn't matter where we've been, what's been done to us, or what's going to be done to us. We can't always change our circumstances, but what we can do is we can live for Jesus anyways. Because it's not things in life that give us joy. It's not things and stuff in our lives that give us happiness. It's the presence of God through every up and through every down. That is what gives you joy. And if you are envious of other people, if you are jealous of other people, constantly thinking that other people have it better than you do, then you are going to live in bitterness and in anger and in just sadness the rest of your life. Do you want that? No. Nobody wants that. So we have to make the conscious decision. Are we going to follow Jesus or not? And Paul isn't saying that your situation and the circumstances that is out of your control doesn't matter. He's just saying that you have a choice to make this morning. He's saying that you have a choice to make with your life. Are you going to sulk in what's been done to you? Are you going to sulk in the things that you can't change? Or are you going to walk forth knowing that God is with you wherever you go? Are you going to be in chains and complain about it? Or are you going to be in chains for Christ? Because this is what Paul did. And what do we see? What What does Paul say? He says, it's become clear that the whole palace guard that I am in chains for Christ. Everybody in that prison Everybody in that town, in that kingdom, knew Jesus because of Paul. He didn't let his circumstances, he didn't let his situation hinder him from sharing the message of Jesus and for living for Jesus. And this is perfect for us in our envy. So easy to look at somebody else and say, they have it all. It's so easy to look at somebody else and say, God, you've blessed them, why haven't you blessed me? God, if I just had this, then I would follow you. But that's not contentment. Paul said the secret is contentment. Trusting God with what he's already given you. You don't need more. You have what you need. How do we know that? Because God is our God. And the Bible promises us, God promises us that he will give us what we need. Not always what we want. And we know that because we're envious, right? But he will give us what we need. Do you trust God? If you trust God, trust is what leads to contentment. Trust is the thing that leads us to Jesus. We need to understand that he is in control. We can't always change our circumstances, but he is with us no matter where we go. Don't let your circumstances, don't let what's been done to you in the past that you can't change, don't let anything in your life that you can't change hinder you from living for Jesus and sharing his message. We need to live for Jesus. And that brings me to my next point. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says this, a different book, but same author. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Let's just cut to the chase, right? And I mean this with grace, and I mean this with love, and if I yell at you, I'm sorry, I'm yelling at myself too. But life is not about you and I. Life is not about us. When we become envious, what are we saying? I don't have this. I don't have that. God, why didn't you give me this? God, why don't I have this? They have this, but what about me? And if we live with this mindset, we are going to live with jealousy, with bitterness, with anger, and with rage the rest of our lives because we are so mad at God for what he hasn't given us. We are so jealous about what other people have, and we're just going to sit and complain and sulk in our own jealousy. We've got to be able to get the focus off of ourselves and start living for Jesus. Life is not about you and I. Life is about glorifying God and serving people. The two greatest commandments, right? Love God, love people. 
That's what life is about. And if you only focus on your own needs and your own wants constantly, and I find myself doing this all the time, but this is where I get into bitterness, anger, jealousy, envy. It's constant. I have to get my mindset, my focus off of myself and what I need. You know, researchers are finding, they did a study over the past year, and the studies came out about six months ago. And this is a secular study. It has nothing to do with church, nothing to do with religion, so I'm not pushing this because we need more volunteers. <laughs> but what, what the study concluded is that people who serve, people who serve people and serve their communities are being cured of their depression and their anxiety. That's a beautiful thing. And that's a big thing because in our world today, we're told to medicate. And if you're taking medication and if you need to, that's a great thing. I'm not saying get off your meds and go crazy. But what I'm saying is that it's not always the answer. And the result of this study is telling us something about ourselves. It's telling us that we weren't meant to live life for ourselves. If serving people is starting to cure our depression and our anxiety, what does that tell us? It's telling us that we have a greater purpose, that it's not all about me, it's not about what I want, and it's not about what I need all the time. It's about serving God and serving people. And so in a gentle way, stop living for yourself. Stop caring and worrying so much about what you don't have or what you do have and start living for other people and for Jesus. If we can get out of that mindset, it's not going to matter what other people have. We don't have to worry about who has 10,000 followers and I have 12. We don't have to worry about who's got the biggest 401k, who's got the perfect family with well-dressed kids. We don't have to worry about who's the smartest kid in class and why am I not so smart because it doesn't matter anymore. We're not chasing after those things anymore if we've realized that life is not about us. If we are chasing after Jesus, we realize that he is the only one that matters. And we're going to follow him, we're going to serve him, we're going to serve people, and he's going to reveal that to us that that is the purpose of life. Glorify God and serve people. That's what we are called to. Steve Jobs, he's the founder of Apple. He passed away a few years ago. But he said this before he died. He said, we slowly realize that wearing a $300 watch or a $30 watch, they both tell the same time. And whether we drive a $150,000 car or a $30,000 car, the road and the distance is the same. And we get to the same destination. Whether we live in a house that is 300 or 3,000 square feet, the loneliness is still the same. This is a guy who had it all. He had the cars, he had the money, he had the people, he had the respect Everything that we envy people about, Steve Jobs either had or could have gotten like that. But what he's telling us here is that it doesn't matter. Steve knew something that a lot of us didn't know. The sad part about it was that, you know, I've seen tons of documentaries. I've read a lot about Steve Jobs. He's an interesting guy to me. Nothing tells me that he followed Jesus. So even though he didn't follow Jesus, he knew that money he knew that cars, he knew that the perfect family, he knew all these things that we often envy other people about. He knew it wasn't the answer. He never found the answer, but he knew it wasn't it. And that's what I think we need to hear this morning. From the guy who had it all, having it all isn't it. We can be so envious about what other people have. 
And that happens when we think about ourselves all the time. That happens when we are the God of our own life. We become envious. But when we take the focus off ourselves and say, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Jesus who lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. We start to live for Jesus. Everything changes. You don't have to feel bad about what you have or what you don't have. You don't have to feel envious about what other people have and what you don't have. You can have joy no matter what you have or what you don't have. Paul says, I have learned to be content. Whether I've been rich, and Paul was rich. And he said, I've learned to be content when I was poor, and Paul was poor when he died. He says, through everything, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the answer. It's Jesus, and it's always been Jesus. It'll be never, never be anything else but Jesus. It's never things. We think things will make us feel better. We think things will make us feel finally complete or we feel like we don't have to worry anymore because we have enough money. We don't have to worry anymore because we have the car, we have the wife, we have the husband. There's always things to worry about. Nothing is ever going to be perfect no matter how many things you have. The only time you're going to find peace, a true peace, is when you've got Jesus. You can be poor and have joy. You can live in a camper and have joy. You can have a wayward son and have joy because you have Jesus. And so here are two steps, two practical steps that you can take today to overcome jealousy, to overcome envy. And step number one is to be content. Contentment shows that you trust God. And so if you are content in the situation you are in now, you, you can be content in any situation, right? Trust God. Number two, appreciate what you already have. And you might be going through something in life right now that's hard. You might feel like God hasn't blessed you or God's not with you. You might feel like you're, you're envious of other people because they have what you don't have. But how many of you guys came in with clothes on today? Which is a beautiful thing, right? Nobody's naked in the room. That's good. That's good. We're on the right track. We all start off the day the same way. That is a blessing. In a non-joking way, right? You have clothes to wear. You have people in your life. How many of you guys are breathing? Some of you are snoring, right? But breathing. We've got breath in our lungs. If you are still breathing, God is still working. Don't give up hope. God wants to use you. He wants to live through you. He wants you to know that it's no longer you who lives, but it's him who lives through you. God wants to change your life, and you can do that by being content in him, by appreciating what you've got. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have the perfect family. You don't have to have the best grades. You don't have to have the most followers. Just appreciate what you have because God gives you what you need and you've got it. So here's what I want you to do with those cards that are on your chair. You know, to, to kill envy, we need to continually practice appreciation. And so with those cards in your chair, I want you to write down your blessings. What are you blessed by? What are you thankful for? What has God given you that you've needed, and he's come through. And I think at the top it says 100 blessings, which obviously I don't know if you can fit 100 blessings on there, but take time you know, later when you get home with a notebook. But here's what I want you to do. James is going to play a little instrumental for about a minute or so, and I want you to write down three to five blessings in your life. Three to five blessings in your life that you are continually thankful for that just first come to your mind right away. If we want to practically kill envy, 
We've got to show what we're thankful for. We've got to take a step back and stop complaining and start writing down, what has God already given me? Because God has blessed you in ways that you can't even imagine. But what you've got to do is stop, sit in silence, and just remember, this is where God has come through. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Lord, you've taken care of us. You've always been with us. You've never left us. And that's the greatest blessing in and of itself. And so we're so thankful. But God, it's so easy to struggle with envy because our hearts desire so many things. Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to sin. But Lord, we know that this is causing terrible things in our lives. Every time we are envious, every, every time we are jealous, it causes anger, it causes bitterness, it ruins relationships. It creates a rift between you and I. And Father, we don't want to dishonor you. We don't want to dishonor your creation. We don't want to dishonor your work and your majesty and your wonder. Lord, you are an artist. So Lord, help us be thankful. Help us to appreciate what we have and who we are. And not in a boastful way, but Lord, we understand that we are your creation and that's an amazing thing. So God, continue to convict us about this so that we can kill the sin of envy in our lives. We don't want to live in sin anymore. We want to walk in freedom. So reveal to us, God, what we need to be thankful for. Reveal to us where you have worked, where you have shown up, where you have given us what we need. It's in your name I pray. Amen.